the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I'm actually pleasantly surprised. I, I expect there would be about 60 people here today, being a holiday weekend and stuff. Guess you guys all came back, so that's good. Never know on a, when you get to preach on a holiday weekend if you're like the, uh, just the pulpit filler, and there's going to be a couple of us, and we're going to have just a good time together, or uh, you know, if we're going to get to really dive in as a whole group. So I'm really glad to see you guys here. And uh, yeah, the Reynolds just keep rolling in. They're everywhere. <laughs> Good to have you guys. Let me just pray as we start here. Father, thank you for the chance just to be here on this day, July 7th, 2019, in this course of history that you've lined out. You've known the beginning and the end from before it started. And uh, even though things from our perspective have been um, pretty messed up and the blame is with us, God, nothing has escaped your eye, your plan, your design. and a a design that will give you glory. I pray that you just um, help us to dive into that stream today, be encouraged from your word, the hope that's there, and that you just speak through me, um, through um, God, just just everything up here, God, um, and even down the hall, too, and all that's going on in this church. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, just because I, I, I like hands, uh, by show of hands, how many of you guys were able to be at family camp last week? Okay, so good. Probably like two-thirds or more of you. That's good. Um, if you were able to be up there, we, uh, we had a great weekend, right? If you were there, was it good? Amen. I, I was blessed. And um, it was just a really good, refreshing time. We went back to a three-day weekend. Instead of the four, which I kind of missed the extra day, but still was good and um, refreshing. But we were also refreshed in the word with Ryan Washburn as he was able, he's one of our missionaries, as you guys know, up in Surprise Valley, and he was able to come and uh, he was excited to share the word with us. Um, and it was, it was really neat to see the way that the Lord worked. Uh, he talked about a few themes, walking worthy of our calling, the lifestyle that we have, unity and how lifestyle Christianity can unite us, um, and just being in tune with the church and where it's going, like where, where this body's going, and um, being one in that. And it's just funny, I couldn't have planned a better segue, honestly, because as he was talking, I was like, man, what am I going to preach on? Because I knew I'm following, and it's Ephesians chapter 4, where the first verse is, prisoner of the Lord, walk worthy in the manner, talk about unity. And I'm like, that's everything I was going to preach on. So I was tempted to actually just say, hey, you know, it's already been covered. We're going to move on. Um, and, but as I looked at it, uh, I was like, you know, we, it's good to come back. Not everyone was at family camp, for one. 
and uh, two, um, just kind of like how God had the Gospels written, where they're from different perspectives, you can hit the same themes and come out of them from different angles. So we're going to do that a little bit today. So some of it will be review. Some of it will be themes that we covered last weekend. Um, some of it will be review from before. I was looking back at my notes, and I've, this is actually the third time I've preached on Ephesians chapter 4 here at Oak Grove. <laughs> um, first time was in 2011 at family camp. We went through the book of Ephesians. That was the first time I taught up there. Um, and the last time was four years ago, 2015, uh, I preached this exact passage, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I followed Steve Kearns. And um, ironically enough, <laughs> I, the, the Sunday that I preached on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, was the Sunday after family camp. So I don't know what's going on there. It's kind of weird. Maybe we just didn't realize. Even the theme for that year was knowing and proclaiming Christ. And this year it's knowing and serving Christ. So um, it's just to say, I, I really do think God has led us to this point um, through everything. And um, I had, uh, when I started preparing for this week, I pulled up my sermon from four years ago because I thought, oh, I'll take that and I'll kind of modify it. And if we're supposed to go through this again, we'll just kind of, we'll do the same service, you know, kind of modify. They probably all forgot everything I said anyways. Uh, and it was really good stuff. I was, I was like, oh man, I wrote that? Um, God must have done that. And I was getting convicted as I read. And so I planned to do that today. And yesterday, God just changed it all up and said, no, we're going to talk about a couple other things. So um, we're still going to be in the same passage. We're going to look at hopefully the first six verses today. But um, we'll kind of take a little different uh, angle at it as we look at it. And um, that's just to say... Um, I'm going to kind of invite you along on a journey that God has been taking me on. And I was a little hesitant. I am hesitant, uh, even nervous to, um, to take you on that because it's an incomplete journey. But if I understand where God is taking me, I don't know if there is a completion point. Uh, probably if I hit the completion point, uh, I'll be intolerably self-righteous. So um, here we go. All right, I'm going to kind of invite you along on this and see... Um, and just kind of share some of the things that uh, God has been pouring into my life that I, I feel that he's been pouring in to channel to you guys. So that's kind of where we're going to go. Now, to kind of catch up where we are, as you guys know, we're in Ephesians, uh, going through this book. Knowing and serving Christ has been our theme. We had planned to do the first three chapters as being knowing Christ before we get to the last three chapters, serving Christ. And that's kind of how we split this book in half. Um, the idea that we look at Christ as he's revealed in those first three chapters, get a good picture of him, a good vision of him, um, and then we get into the to-dos and the service and the moral um, aspects of the last half of the book. Um, any of you guys familiar with the Bible Project? Raise your hand if you ever heard of that. Okay, I love that. Um, so far, I haven't found any bad theology, so, so I endorse it as of now. I haven't been through the whole Bible yet. Uh, it's, it's great stuff. They do really good high-level overviews of each book uh, that you can go, do and look at. And so I was looking at the way that they split this book, and they had split it. The gospel story is the first three chapters, and then the last three chapters are our story or how we live out that gospel story. Either one, they're great divisions of the book, and um, they, pretty much everyone can kind of see there's a split. But in these 16 verses that we're going to look at in the, in the next three weeks, they're kind of a hinge for the two halves of the book. As I looked at them, I, I was trying to see if this is a clean break, and it really is kind of a hinge passage. And I hope that you guys can kind of see how I got there. But if you kind of picture two halves, I didn't do slides because, again, I changed. 
it's kind of hard to do all that at the same time. So you're going to have to see slides here and picture them. If you have two halves of the book, kind of picture those little rings that you would have go between two halves. That's kind of what this passage is. And if we can really get a handle on what I believe God is saying in these and some foundational things, it's going to really influence how we read the rest of the book. And vice versa. If we don't have those, it could influence it in a different direction. And so hopefully, um, pray for me that I can do that clearly because I really think this is critical um, to some, some aspects of what we're looking at. <clears throat> Just like um, Ryan talked about, um, the aspect of unity, that's most of the focus of what I'm going to look at today is what is unity. And again, uh, four years ago when I talked, that was the primary focus of, of the message in this series there was what are we unified around? And that is still a powerful message I think that we need to hear and look at. What are we unified around? Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more today still. Um, but in the world that we live in, um, the world also is unifying as we have been seeing more and more and more. Secular humanism is really the religion of the world, and it's been growing and rising more and more in the past few decades, uh, even centuries, where it's this mankind unifying around something. Um, it's been said, uh, a few culture commentaries and, and some other things, and those that know me well have probably gotten really tired of me talking about that because that's typically how I do things and I get excited about something nuts and they stop calling me and texting me and I don't know what happened. So uh, sorry for those of you that are really close. If you weren't close to me, you get to be annoyed. So here we go. Um, these, it, it's just been these kind of themes. They've been looking at the world and where it's going kind of at a macro level and um, where secular humanism has been going. And one thing that we see in our culture is this desire to unify around things. And especially in the West, in America, we live in a culture of image, very much image-based, image-driven. Um, there are images that we follow. We are slaves, and our culture are slaves to the Instagram image of the attractive workout mom holding two kids on one arm, advanced Mandarin in the other, kissing her handsome husband, and looking just amazing while solving world hunger all before 9 a.m. in the morning. You've got the dad who just happened to stumble upon that one widget. He's a millionaire overnight, and now he's super dad on his beach house with kids and not a worry in the world, and doesn't have to work for the rest of his life, and he's retired at 31. Um, you've got the athlete who saw what she wanted, and she just did it, and now she has it all, just because she dug in and she tried uh, as hard as she could. Or the scholar who's academically brilliant in school, yet is also attractive and popular and sexually active and has it all without a care in the world. None of it's real. None of it's real. It's fake. It's fabricated. And in spite of that, and in spite of the fact that I think in our gut, most people even know that, we're an image-based culture. We look at those things and we strive towards them and we're obsessed with them. And our culture has unified around this, this pursuing, trying to chase a standard that is really based on nothing, because it's not even based on reality. Hollywood and tabloids and social media and Instagram push this vision of a person that doesn't exist. And yet we're, they're just obsessed with it. Um, one commentator I read actually even goes as far as calling this a contemporary Gnosticism, and there's a lot 
if you know anything about Gnosticism and how it basically said, like, you have to elevate yourself to a higher spirituality. It, was, it plagued the early church. He says it's back. And that's a whole study um, to look into on your own, perhaps, or we can talk about maybe in the coming weeks. But the point is, secular humanism today is trying to present this perfect ideal of a human being that's based on vapor, it's based on nothing. Frankly, it's based on marketing schemes of big companies that want your money, but that's a sideline topic. <laughs> you know, they're, they're pushing the, the crowds towards this, but it's based on something that is not God. And it is trying to have um, really the kingdom without the king. It's trying to have Christian virtues such as respect and love, honor, honesty, beauty, those things, those, those, they don't get to claim on those. Those come from Christianity. They come from God. And, and they've seen those. A Christian culture founded many of them. We live in a, a country that was founded on Christian values, and they've said, we like those values. We want those, but we don't want the king. We don't want anyone to tell us how to get to those things, so we'll set them up here. But, you know, don't give us any authority, but we still want those. I was just reading um, this morning... Over breakfast, I stumbled upon, um, I try not to get political in the pulpit, so I won't name names, but there is a new candidate um, that is running, I <laughs> uh, just announced her bid, and she is very new agey, into the, she's kind of a leader in the new age movement, and she's basing her whole campaign on love. We're just going to fix everything with love. Trump, you did it with fear, I'm going to do it with love, and that's her motto. The millennials are flocking after, they love her. Um, and this is very popular in our culture. I mean, ha, in one sense, how do you fight that? How do you say, well, love is bad? You can't say that. The problem is, love, well, what's love? Who's defining love? You ripped out the God that defined it, so now it's this just airy, floaty thing that no one can actually grasp or hold on to or grab. Love is just how I define love. And if my definition of love is different than yours, well, then you're probably old-fashioned, and I'm progressive, so get out of the way. And that happens on both sides of it, by the way, this political divide. We, we, we get this, every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. And this is the world that we live in. This is the end result of secular humanism. The sermon title for today is One God, One Spirit. And that is what we are aiming towards as a church. But you can take that same title and put it in lowercase letters and see the world around us. One God, one spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, which we've covered in the past, already talked about this. It says that there's the, those that are lost um, are, are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is the spirit of the world. Now, Kind of already said it, humans desperately need to be unified around something. And this is why our secular world is wanting and desperately holding on to some kind of unity. And they're grabbing onto image or they're grabbing onto some viewpoint or political stance or something. They want to be unified. Um, and I think that's because it's built into our DNA. Why? We were created, we know from scripture, we were created in the image of God. God is triune, He is three in one. He lives in a constant state of perfect unity. And if we were created in his image, there's going to be a desire for that. 
Some people, they say, I'm a loner. I'm just going to go off in the middle of nowhere. But even those things, I think, came as a response to maybe a bad experience with unity as a child, whatever. At our core, we need to be unified. We are designed for community because we come from a God that lives in community. The spirit of the age wants that community, but they don't want it centered around God. And so this rebellion is happening, which is really um, exactly the same thing. Thousands of years after Adam and Eve, it is man uniting together, deciding what is right for himself, and being God, knowing what is good and evil on his own. Now, Paul writes, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. And that is what I want us to look at. This last week, um, we celebrated the 4th of July in a country where we're still, for the moment, free. Um, we thank God for this. It's, a, it's an incredible land that we've been in for the last two and a half centuries. Um, the problem is, if we end up centering around anything that's not God, as far as the freedom we have in religion, it's going to betray us. And I think we're seeing that more and more. In our country, this freedom has turned into freedom from, it started as freedom from tyranny, an unjust rule, but fast forward two and a half centuries and the, the modern person, and you can blame millennial, modern, generation X, Y, Z, whatever you want, I think we're all really in the same boat. We see freedom as being freedom from any kind of authority. We, we might pick an authority that we're okay being under, but as soon as that authority does something you don't agree with, well, they're out. So at the end, we're still the judges as to um, who we want to submit to and who we don't. And, and it's really our culture has been rising and slow cooking towards this, this aspect of throw off all authority. Throw off anything that tells me what is right or wrong. I will be the final authority. This last week, I went to the fireworks um, as many of you did, and as we were leaving, um, as many of you were, um, you're in this mass cow herding, trying to get through a tiny gate this big, and I don't know why they finally opened the gate or if someone plowed it down, I don't know what happened, but you're just barely moving in this throng, so you can't help but look around and um, see people. And I tell you what, you know, here we are celebrating freedom in a free country, and I didn't see free people. I saw people that were, were enslaved to desires and sex and sexual standards that, again, don't even exist, that boyfriend is trying to push on girlfriend and she's never going to get to and he knows it, but he's still pushing her there and vice versa. And you've got pride and desperation and hopelessness and brokenness and addiction. And I didn't see free people. Um, and this is... From a spiritual perspective, this is the great irony of America in these latter days. We are a nation that is enslaved to freedom. Freedom to pursue our own wants, desires, or cravings, or whatever we define as the pursuit of happiness. And it's betrayed us. Now, the church isn't very far behind. Sometimes we have a very spiritual version of this, or we put a Christian stamp on what we're pursuing to make us happy, but it's still not what God wants or what God designed. And you can't blame America. 
The freedoms that we experience here are pretty much about as good as it gets in a fallen world. And honestly, I think this is the purpose that God has shown. He's showing, hey, this is about as good of a political system as you'll ever get. And look where you end up. You're, you're free to pursue whatever you want, and you're still slaves. And you still end up there. And you still end up chasing after the wind. And you're still not going to get it. And that is, it's just the great irony of this great free land that we live in, that we are enslaved to our own desires and pursuits. And really, you look back at the Tower of Babel, we've almost overcome the language barrier that God put up back there when he dispersed. You know, Babel is, uh, language barriers doesn't really exist anymore with Google Translate. You can talk to almost anyone anywhere in the world um, pretty easily. And as a result, mankind is coming right back to a Babel style of life. And we have climbed the tower. And we're standing at the top. And we are reaching for the clouds, thinking just one more step and I'll throw them off. We don't need God. We don't need him up there. They don't have a clue how far away he is past the other side of that cloud. They think, if I just touch it, he's there. But our, our culture has done that. We've said, we don't need God. I'm at the top of the tower, and he ain't showing up, so guess what? I call the shots. So we have this world, this world all around us, and then we come, you're saying, when are we going to get into Ephesians? Here we go. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, you come to Paul, and he says, I approve prisoner of the Lord. And I know Glenn has talked about this. Jerry talked about this aspect of being a prisoner of the Lord. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it. I just want you to see the contrast here of a world that is pursuing its own desires and saying, no one is going to boss me around. And then you have Paul who says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Here he says, for the Lord Verse uh, chapter 3, 1, he said, of the Lord. And throughout this New Testament, you see him refer to himself as a bondservant, as a prisoner, as a slave. He was clearly saying, guys, I'm not in control. I'm under the authority of someone else. And I'm okay with that. To the world that we live in, this is the most offensive part of the entire gospel. That you would come underneath someone else. Someone you can't see. But this is what we have to come to when we look at what the church is supposed to be. And this is the starting place for the unity that we need to look at, that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. One body with a head. Um, this last uh, week, we queued up a, an episode of American Ninja Warrior. You know, some of you guys watched that and whatever. And I, um, it was just interesting because this, this uh, guy came up. You guys have probably seen it. Um, he came up, he's a Rhodes Scholar, um, he's a twin, and brilliant kid, like absolutely brilliant, and just like, and, and brilliant and like an incredible athlete. He's like one of those images, you know, that we're trying to pursue. Um, but he, he had a twin who was born with cerebral palsy, and he's there. And I know cerebral palsy, I don't know a lot about it, I, from what I can tell and what I've been, uh, what I've read, you know, is um, it, it's very different case by case. But in some cases, cerebral palsy, the brain, they say, is actually completely normal. It just can't control the body. And as I watched this kid, as he's going through the course, and he's just like nailing it better than anyone else, and his brother's sitting there, unable to move, cheering him on in the best way he can, 
because I thought, what if that guy's, is his brain like fully functional? And the only difference is he can't control his body? Like, that's, that's haunting. And you, and you see how delicate life is and all this stuff. But um, God brought that back to mind as I was doing this because I was thinking, the body needs the brain. <laughs> right? The body can't function if it doesn't have the head connected. Now, in our case, the head isn't the problem. The body is, usually. But that is why it's so critical for us to be in tune with the head, with Christ, and centered around him. And that's why we have to start with this authority picture of saying, God, you're in control. I'm not. I'm okay being a prisoner of the Lord. Um, Side tangent. I probably shouldn't go down, but I'm going to anyways, because it's jumping ahead in the book. But women, I just want to say, do you realize the opportunity you have in this world? Usually when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, and again, I'm jumping ahead in the book. Sorry if whoever's going to preach that. When you get there, we almost like, especially if you're a man up here preaching, like, wives submit to your husband, it's almost done apologetically of like, oh, sorry, it says it. <laughs> you know, like, I'll love you. <laughs> you know, um, and it's, it's spoken with this almost like, I, I didn't say it, he did. But I was looking at this and thinking, wow, what? You guys have like such an opportunity in a world that says, no authority. I'm not going to submit to anyone. I don't need a head. I don't need a God. I don't need anyone to tell me. You stand up and you say, hey, by the way, I'm submitting to my husband. Are you like that? And they go, what? Why would you do that? You're a woman. You're empowered. You don't need to submit to anyone. And you go, no, I'm choosing to. You know why? Sorry, I got a little sass going. Molly's like, <laughs> that's probably like demeaning to women. Here I go. Uh-huh. Um, no, like, you, you get to do that, and you get to demonstrate. You say, hey, that's because I submit to Christ. He's the head of the church, and I'm demonstrating that to you right now. So, yeah, I'm submitting to my husband because it's the gospel. You silence that, and you have an incredible opportunity to do that. Amen? really should, because the responsibility falls back on you, a fallen, sinful man, to now your wife is choosing to submit to you as a picture. She's going, hey, so you're going to act like Christ? That's Ephesians 5. We're going to have to preach that later. But men, we've got a pretty big responsibility as well. We don't get off the against authority, and the gospel is all about this. Yeah, that's why you need to in the garden. It didn't work out. Look how far it's gotten you. So come back underneath me. Submit to me. Okay? Now, moving forward here. Walk worthy of the manner of the Lord. Um, I don't need to go into this too much because Ryan really talked about this and actually I plan to come back to this probably next week. I'd hope to get that far today, but we have six minutes and three pages and not going to happen. So the aspect of walking worthy in our moral lifestyle um, is, is a very big deal to Paul. He said this over and over throughout the New Testament. And it was, it was a big deal that he continued to come back on and repeat. He says it in uh, Ephesians and Philippians, like Ryan's preached out of last week. He says it in Colossians 1.10. Um, Galatians 5.25, it's a little stretch. It's after the um, fruit of the Spirit, but he says, um, keep in step with the Spirit. I'm going to say that that's walk worthy. Walking, steps, it works. Um, it was a, a constant prayer in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 
12, 2 Thessalonians 1, 5, 1, 11, he was praying the same thing. I pray that you would walk worthy. Okay? Why does he do this? What does this mean? Well, in Ephesians, just the book that we've been, been in, you guys have seen him go through, and he had this prayer section in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and then he had another one in 3, 14 through 21, where he talked about, I am praying, I am on my knees begging the Lord that you would understand the immeasurable greatness of this gospel, that you've been saved. What really transacted on that cross when Christ stepped in for you and you were put into Christ and how big of a deal that is. He elevates it. He prays. He's begging the Lord. When he's praying for them, he's not praying that you be delivered from pain and suffering and, and heartache and, and trials. No, his number one prayer is that they would come to understand the power of this gospel. And once it is lifted up and it's elevated up there, he says, okay, you see that thing? Walk worthy of it. That gospel is such a big deal. That is what your target is. You see how big of a deal? If it's down here, go back. You don't understand it. Okay, you're not going to understand walking worthy until you really understand how big of a deal this gospel is. But if you can do that, if you can follow, if you can even pray that prayer for yourself, spend a week saying, God, help me to get it. You're going to understand better what walking worthy of it means. And that's what he's doing. That's why he's urging them urging like is what he says i urge you to walk worthy this is very important <clears throat> now verse two he talks about how this fleshes out he says it looks like this i'm reading out of the esv um, you guys have different translations so it might look a little different but that's okay it's the same theme with all humility with gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love these are an outworking of a people that are coming together, and they start with this. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He's my authority. When we all come together and we're saying, okay, following him. It's that same triangle thing they give you in marriage counseling. You know, focus on Christ, and as a result, you'll draw closer together. It's the same way for a church, right? When we put him as the head, we start to draw close. As you do that, We, we've grown up with this nature, the sin nature, that says, wait, I know what's right and wrong. It's all around us in our culture. It's really hard for us to shake. Okay? We need to understand that. That's the humility side. You need to come and realize, I need a lot of humility to make this work. Your fellow believer in this church might say, hey, we're all pointing at him, but you're trying to be over here. Like, okay, you see someone over there that's kind of, hey, guys, follow me. You need in gentleness to talk to that person. Person over here, you need in humility to receive that. Don't think that you're going to get it. We are all supposed to work on this together. All right? That's the humility. Gentleness. Um, patience. And bearing with one another in love. It's going to take time. That is what the church is looking like. But this unity is focused on God, focused on Christ as we aim towards him as our head. Now, um, the next verse, verse 3, says um, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This bond of peace, um, I think, contextually, he's referring back to that passage that we saw in chapter 2. Um, you know, you look 14 through 22. He talked about Christ is our peace. He's made two one in him. He is, uh, he's abolished the law 
um, making a new man. So making peace. Peace is mentioned like five or six times as it goes through him. Um, we have access to one spirit and father, no longer strangers. Blah, blah, blah. Um, you see it. There's peace, peace, peace all over in there. And I think that's what he's referring back to. So he's saying, God has done this work to make you all one. That was what was on his heart. Last week we heard um, Lady Anne, if you were up at family camp, she quoted um, John 13 through 17, five chapters uh, from uh, the book of John. It's incredible. But as she did the uh, high priestly prayer, you see Christ's heart. He says, I pray that they would be one as we are one, Father. Okay? That's where God's heart is. So if you are eager to maintain that, it means that you're aligning with God's heart, God's desire. And that's what we have to be about. You're going to be eager if you are lining up with God's heart. So again, um, we look to him. We're in the spirit, this, the spirit of the world, which says, I don't need authority. I can figure it out on our own. That's secular humanism at its pinnacle. And frankly, um, it's collapsing. It's, it's falling apart. And that's what's, um, I, I don't know, I, I think for most of my life, I've looked at it very much like, oh, we're going downhill, Lord's got to come back soon. And he might. I sure hope he does. Um, one of these guys that I was listening to was just like off his seat about how much of an opportunity this is that we live in. Secular humanism, God has allowed to just... It's not... It, it could be that God has just stepped back and said, hey, go for it, see how it turns out, I'll be back here. Um, but it's also... Some theologians even believe like God has intentionally allowed this world to have secular humanism to get to the point that it is now. It's going out of control. It's, it's flying off the rails. Our country is so divided and so polarized and all over. It's not just our country. It's the world. Because everyone thinks they got the, the answer. And it's just, it's getting bigger and bigger, and it's blowing up. And it's blowing up in the church. Our churches are falling apart. The whole um, seeker-sensitive thing isn't working out too well anymore. Millennials don't care. Um, and the generation below definitely don't care. Um, things are spinning out of control. And it is showing God is allowing that as an opportunity for a revival. And that's where we should get excited. Don't get spun out. This thing that we're part of, the church, where we get to be part of something that says, okay, world that is now burned and in ashes and you trusted in yourself and look where it got you, we're still here. And guess what? We're still together because we have a head, because we submitted to authority. And guess what? He knows better than us. We have such an opportunity ahead of us. So don't get discouraged. Don't get... Don't get down about the way that the world is going. See it as an opportunity because that is what's coming. Now, this revival that we need of the Spirit, and I'm going to close it up here. I have more pages, but we'll just get to them next week. Um, this revival that we need to be praying for, it has to, of course, as with any revival, start in our own hearts. We need to look inside. We need to look at the aspects, bring them to God and say, what areas am I still on the throne? Where, where am I still running the show? Where am I still in charge? And I'm going to invite you guys, um, part of the journey that I'm on is this, God, draw me closer to you, whatever it would take, and take me on if need be, 
one of the dark nights of the soul, where it takes you down deep into your heart, deeper than you want to go. Some of you have been Christians for many years, and you're very moral people. But some of it, I'm just going to guess, some of that morality has come as a result of of taking sins of your heart and just pushing them down for so long that they're, they're buried deep in there and they ain't coming out and no one's ever going to know about them. And, and you've got a pretty good shell. You've got a pretty good righteous life on the outside. God wants to bring it all out because he's in there. He knows. You haven't hidden it from him. This authority that we're talking about, it goes deep. It goes really deep. And you guys, I, I don't want to push that on you in a way that, let's get that, everyone good, let's move forward. I want you to think about that for a week. I want you to seriously consider, do I want to go on a journey into my heart? Do I want to go that deep? We're going to talk next week about this revival, what it would look like if the Holy Spirit were to come and revive our world and work from the inside out and start with us. And if he came in, in form and fire and came and gave us not just a revival in our heart, but disciplines that, that keep you regimented, that keep you moving forward in a direction. We're going to talk about spiritual formation, a little bit about spiritual disciplines, but all of that, how it leads towards unity in the Spirit. So um, be praying um, with me this week as we look at that. There's a whole lot um, as we go deeper there. But, but I would just encourage you this week, spend some time, maybe every day, just a few minutes of opening your heart to the Lord and saying, God, do you want to go deeper with me? Do you want to go into the recesses of my heart? And be prepared, because it's not going to look anything like you think it will when he takes you there. Okay? All right, we'll, we'll try to move forward next week. Eventually, we'll get to verse 16, but um, be praying and be reading the scripture as we meditate on this together. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have a closing song today. Father, you see us as we are. And uh, there's nothing that surprises you. I've said those words my whole life, but I, I think you're just really showing me, and I, I think you're showing us what it really means to have you in authority over our lives. Bring it out, God. Bring the crud out that's in our heart that's been, been buried, and help us to really be able to demonstrate to this broken world what it looks like when your spirit comes inside, takes over, and controls us, and drives us, and makes us into a bride, a body who has a head. Lord, I pray for each of our areas, our neighborhoods, our neighbors, our cities. I know we come from different towns, even here at Oak Grove. We're spread out all over Shasta County. and We go home, we spend our week, we go to our workplaces. Father, come in and, and just demonstrate um, the humility, the gentleness, the power of being submitted to you this week. And just excite our hearts about you, God. I also, God, just pray for this church that you would bring more in, that you would bring more um, into our fold. You would use us as the tools to do that, and that uh, this church uh, as a body would grow, even if not in numbers, um, God in spirit, but let it be just a testament to um, your grace in this area. <clears throat> we love you and look forward to what you're doing this weekend in our lives and look forward to seeing you someday too. Make it soon. In your name. Amen.